1: i mean i'll just you know let's paint the picture i'm in lingerie so
2: so that's so sexy
0: the movies that made me is now a proud member of the airwave media podcast network this is the movies that made me with your
2: hosts josh olson and joe dante
1: trying to find the list of movies i
2: sent you
0: oh you well you never narrowed it down to 10 so i figured we'd just
2: we just cut loose all right That's okay we'll just it's, go. All, it's all uh oh i
0: feel terrible too i can't remember the name the last time adam was on one of our listeners i believe sent me a link to a place because we spent so much time talking about philadelphia joints i'm I'm wearing my eric theaters t-shirt that i, oh, uh, yes. I got it from them but I finally, by the time I was buying a Crass Brothers t-shirt, I realized
1: I need to stop. I had to cut myself oh, off. The Philly stuff is so good, though. <laughs> it's such an era in world. Yeah, yeah. I was Eric Twin Fraser off of Route 30. That's right. Yes. And that's no, no. where we had uh, we had a bunch of lousy movies and we had Tin Men played. Mm-hmm. So my friends and I were like, whoa, what is this? And ended up like learning every line of dialogue of Tin Men. Oh, wow. uh,
0: Yeah, yeah. Which, funny, I mean, do you want to, shall we just jump, because that is from uh, Joe. Adam is here to do his favorite year, which is 1987, Uh which I believe is going to include Tin Man, is it not? Oh, yeah.
2: Well, first, I, first, I have to congratulate him on doing the greatest big oil commercial I have ever seen. Uh, oh, I did want to uh, say that in the intro, yeah, it was <laughs> weird to see that career shift, but
0: uh, that is my favorite Chevron. <laughs> you know, Chevron.
1: Here. Well, let's do it on the podcast.
0: Yeah, we are doing. We're on
1: the podcast. This is the podcast. podcast. Oh, we're, we've already started. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, unfortunately, safer. we
0: missed you talking about your lingerie, but.
1: Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, uh, it you know, Chevron had been calling me for a long time. They got a real <laughs> good gang over there of people. Uh, we've always just hit it off. I and mean, they're the kind of people I've been having, uh, Chevron PR department. Uh, I've been having dinner with them for years, just on a friendly level. And they're like, when are we going to do an ad? And so they called me with this. I was like, you know what, guys, let's do it. And uh, it really worked out great. Uh, I can't say it enough, just a great gang of folks over there. If you're ever driving by Chevron corporate headquarters, just stop and walk in and just yell out, Adam McKay says you're a great gang of people, and watch the line of hugs that come your way. I mean, <laughs> do you remember in the movie Billy Jack, uh, the Native American school, sure. and all wonderful hippie? kids playing music and Native Americans painting. And that's Chevron. That's the vibe. <laughs> that's
2: fantastic. <laughs> well, we should be able to, we should tell people where they can see this, which is on YouTube.
0: Yeah, I think if you just Google Adam McKay Chevron, you'll get to see this phenomenal ad. Um, yeah. And uh, it will inspire you to go to Chevron station right now. Or not.
1: Uh, and the stations too have a great, uh, I'll just, I have a Chevron station up the street. And I just, once a day, it's like Cheers. Like I just pull in, and everyone's like, "Hey!" And like, I have an electric car, but I'll like buy ten gallons of gas and just pour it on the on the uh, cement and uh, and you know just to support the business. That's much. I love Chevrolet. Oh well, here's what you
0: don't know. I use it to wash my electric car.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and it really gets the grime. It gets the wash. grime. Yeah. Yeah. And it gives you that.
0: It gives the car that whiff that makes it smell like a good car. Anyway,
1: can't say enough good things about Chevron. Obviously. Um, (laughs) Love them. And the ad is a love letter to them. Um, And you know, I'm not gonna lie, I got paid a a nice little chunk of change to direct it. I don't normally like to talk about how much I make, but I got paid $3 million to direct this ad, so. Earned every Um, penny,
2: my friend. (laughs) Worth your weight in gold. You know, I did
1: a bit once on Chapo Trap House, where I was talking about climate, and then as a joke said, I'm on the set of an Exxon commercial right now. And of course, my social media feeds just filled with people, you hypocrite, you <laughs> a-hole.
0: It's a it's problem with the deadpan. There are some people, um, my, my agent once years ago, a few years ago, told me she had this great project for me. It was about some uh, Latin American uh, soccer player, football player, what have you. And you know who triumphed and it was very political. And she's like, you like political stuff. I go, yeah. And she's like, and you're you're like a you're like a big liberal, right? And he said, no, I'm I'm a Trump supporter. And the silence on the <laughs> other end. I thought, only sweet Jesus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, um. So I love this show you're doing. It, so we fell into it. Yeah, it's a fun one, man. I had a hard time choosing. I mean, there are years in the 60s, there are years in the 70s. I mean, the year I picked is kind of a cheat because you know I'm in college. I think I'm a sophomore. I'm working at a movie theater and I'm just devouring movies. So Mm -hmm. I almost went with 91 because 91 was another one that kind of shook me out of my chair. That's when the African-American film wave really started. And you got all these incredible movies coming out from talented uh, African American directors and just boys in the hood and just lit us up. Like my friends and I were like, holy crap, when these movies started coming out, led to, you know, Menace to Society. I think Matty Rich, uh, right, like this movie that's was right. Um, Obviously, Spike Lee kind of led the charge. Yeah, uh, I think really that's right. when Do the Right Thing came out. It was 29. 89. Oh, 89, okay, 1989, the summer.
2: 1989, the number, another summer.
1: Sound of the fucking drama. Oh, what am I doing? Because um, <laughs> I think School Days was 88? Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and I remember seeing School Days in Center City, Philadelphia, and being like, this movie is not for me. And then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, that's actually- <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I chose 1987. Very cool year. Yeah. And uh, tell me about the format. What do I do? Do I just start plucking through? I
0: just yeah. You want to pick? I mean, do you do you have it? Because you did bring up Tin Man, which I'm, I'm dying to. Talk well, about Tin Man, I've, I've
1: talked about before. That was a seminal movie. That and Diner. Uh, yes, when they, we this. Oh. Yeah, when they came out, I, just the conversational style. I was working at an Eric Twin Frazier outside of Philadelphia off of Route 30 with a bunch of my best friends. It was only two screens. We had a bunch of not-so-great movies. We had a movie, The Swarm. Uh, I remember oh, played there for God. quite a while. Yes. Um, and, uh, wait, was The Swarm there before? But anyway, we had a bunch of movies that... Uh, squeeze with michael keaton do you remember that one that was oh, there
0: the baseball or something or I that squeeze play? Squeeze?
1: no, no <laughs> i don't think it was actually i think it was like a cop movie so okay. anyway we had a bunch of movies we worshiped michael keaton but a bunch <laughs> of movies that weren't very exciting and then tin men came in and this was now i'm remembering it exactly it was the summer after my freshman year in college and we were like we knew diner and we were like oh my god it's the guy who did Diner. And we, without exaggeration, memorized every single line of dialogue in the movie. Loved the movie. All the little throwaway lines. Jackie, Gail, um, you know, Bonanza is not a realistic depiction of the best. And um, we just were obsessed with the movie. You know why I like? I like Senor Wences. You know why? The guy's got no overhead. He's got a box, <laughs> and he's got his hand, and he does. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. No overhead. Um, so we walked around all summer. And by the way, you can tell we were really popular with other nineteen-year-olds walking around quoting Tin Men in 1987. Hilarious. Did not have a lot of currency. Um, Come on, how
0: about that? Do you remember? I mean, I was a, such a huge fan of their first album. Um, the Fine Young Cannibals popped up in the middle of that. Do I have-
1: was such a cool choice because it was a period movie obviously yeah yet he found a levinson found a contemporary band that felt period yeah and it was such a hip choice because you listen to their music you're like oh this almost could have been in that time period in the style of the guys singing but there was such the the all the different styles and tones of movies in that year, because I was reminding myself, and it was like, oh yeah, Robocop came out in 87. We get the best of both worlds. The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you, Robocop. Is really good.
0: He's not a guy. He's a machine. Old Detroit has a cancer.
3: <laughs> cancer is crime. Let the woman go. You are under arrest. <laughs> you, you better back up,
1: pal. Your move, <laughs> creep. Robocop's another, for me, like, so I'm a huge Bear Harman fan, like, huge, huge fan. And that's like a seminal, movie where I was like, whoa, wait a minute. You can do a big, fat Hollywood action movie and it can be funny and cutting and have satire in it. You know, I'd buy that for a dollar and like all (laughs) these great riffs on culture. By the way, RoboCop has essentially come true ever since, you know, privatizing police forces, uh, collapse of major metropolitan areas, including Detroit. So that was a huge, huge movie that my friends and I were just like, you know, I I always love movies where it's like dog hearing a new sound where Mm -hmm. your head kind of cocks sideways and you're like, what the hell is that? Um, Yeah, you had Evil Dead 2, which I would say another just seminal movie for me. Anyone who knows the stuff I do, you can clearly see that Sam Raimi over the top kind of exaggerated comedy influence there Uh, that was another dog hearing the new sound movie where it was like where did this come from
0: four years
1: ago in this quiet forest in this cozy cabin something happened something so frightening something so deadly so evil, we prayed it would never happen again.
0: Have you, have you seen the first one? No, nope. I had, on
1: okay. had not seen the first one, was not hip to it, and had a friend who was like, you got to see this. And I was like, what do you mean? Because the way it was advertised, it looked like over-the-top cheese ball horror, which, of course, it kind of is. And then, when I dialed into Raimi's sense of humor and saw what he was doing, where he was always going two steps further, where everything was pushed, and I just found myself laughing my ass off. And yet, still, Raimi's a great filmmaker. It's got that uh, urgency, it's got stakes. Even though he's playing the joke over the top, it's real enough. Um, Big, big one. Um, And then, Another one is broadcast news. Ready VTR one and two. Ready on camera one with key. Three. All right. And and Get ready. One. And cue them and go.
3: All remote standby, please. Okay, we're going to George. Say, the F 14 is one of the most difficult planes to master. Executive
1: producer. producer. I'll tell
0: you something else.
1: You know, I'm getting less and less air time. They don't think I'm at all anchor material. (laughs) I can't believe I just risked my life for a network to test my face with focus groups. Is there any particular area that you feel strongest in?
0: To be honest, I was best at Anchor. So you have almost no experience and you can't write. But I don't know, I can learn. What I do know, nobody can teach.
2: I'll buy you a drink. There's a big thing um, going on over
0: at the Italian embassy. I'm
1: not sure I'd be good company tonight,
0: I am beginning to repel people I'm trying to seduce.
1: Wouldn't this be a great world if insecurity and desperation made us more attractive? If needy were a turn-on? I believe that's 87, right? I'm trying to remember the 87 movies. Okay. Yeah, but, oh, it was 87. So, that's... Oh, we haven't thought about
0: it. What if somebody picks one that's not from their year, Joe? Do we have a fine system in place? Well,
2: if it's before their year, it shouldn't count. But if it's after their year, it's okay, because they could have seen it. Uh, I think we gotta exterior. stay in 87. I'm a big I'm fan right of, yes. of the but,
1: limitations create freedom. So we got we gotta yes. stay in 87.
0: Oh no, I'm saying we're talking about hanging out tickets. Yes, is what I'm saying.
1: If oh, oh wow. Uh, I like it. It should be like really, or it should be something like the fine is because it's really gotta hurt. Like if it's right, you gotta pay a hundred dollars, it sucks. But like the <laughs> fine should be I have to drive to the downtown DMV and just walk in and tell everyone you're doing a great job and then just drive home. There
0: you go. Right. You have to direct a Chevron commercial.
1: Uh, <laughs> wow. I mean, that's a joy. Um, <laughs> so broadcast news is a great one because, you know, it was really popular that year. I'm sure you guys remember. It came out. It was a big movie. It made money and had big stars. And nominations. And, you know, movies were huge at that point they were like culturally they kind of they ruled there were very few exceptions with television i think steven bochco was doing some cool stuff there were a couple good sitcoms maybe like a cheers type sitcom right. that was pretty decent but mostly it was movies these are the days where there were giant lines around the block outside the movie theater so and there were really only i actually looked at 87 there was 137 Movies released, I believe, in theaters. And so that's really two a weekend, which you think now it's usually six, sometimes seven get released. So whatever was coming out, if it was in the ballpark, if you heard someone say that's really, you went. So there was nothing about the way broadcast news was marketed that led me to think that is a movie I, 19 year old, maybe, uh, yeah, 19 year old Adam McKay should go see broadcast news. But I heard people said it was good. We all always went to the movies. And I was like, you sly son of a bitch. <laughs> you know James Brooks, I'm like, oh my God, you did a portrait of the collapse of the fourth estate of America, the collapse of broadcast news in the guise of a rom-com. Right And quietly, like, I mean, Robocop's super subversive. There are a lot of really subversive movies that came out this year. But quietly, I think broadcast news is the most subversive. And it's the one, if you really look at it, when I was telling my kids, like, the news didn't used to be the way it is now. We used to actually have, I mean, news has never been perfect, but it was semi-functioning. And the news, the broadcast news, they actually cared about getting awards and prestige. They didn't care about ratings as much. It was starting to change around the time of you know that broadcast news is set in. So that's a movie that I would never have guessed if I looked at all the movies that came out that year. I've probably seen broadcast news like six, seven times. Not really. And really, really love it. it, it, it if I had to do a top one under it, films of all time, it, it, uh, it, it might get on the list. That's how highly I think of it. And it's just incredible because, uh, you know, I'm sure most people listening to this have seen it. If you haven't, I'm about to ruin the ending, but the ending is the couple does not get together. And it's incredible. And he pulls it off. I, I, oh, by the way, all of these filmmakers, I've cornered at some events and and given them the pit stain fanboys sort of thing. And James L. Brooks, I've done it with, and I've done it with Levinson, and um, I've done it with Sam Raimi. I, first meeting I had out here in uh, in quote Hollywood, my manager said, "Who do you want to meet with?" And before he could finish his sentence, I said, "Sam Raimi," and then uh, I raved about his movies. And then three quarters of the whole meeting. Was us just talking about They Live and how great They Live is to the point where all of his producers were like, Can we talk about doing something with this guy? And like, Remy's like, No, we got to talk about They Live some more. So um, that's fantastic. So those but are the things I would ones. also say. But the
0: other thing too with broadcast news is it's doubly unhappy because not only don't they get together, I mean, you don't want them to by that point, but she ends up going off to work with him at the end. I mean, like it's, She's all that principle and everything, and at the very end,
1: she's like, I'm going to go work on this guy. Every Seven years later, about it subverts the genre, yet makes you feel like you're living in the genre. It's, yeah. it's remarkable. I mean, you know, James L. Brooks really does some things that very few people can do. And by the way, wildly entertaining and funny, and the dialogue's incredible, the performances are great, but you're 100% right. I, I, well, here's what's crazy. I remember seeing the movie in the theater, and everyone agreed you wanted them to get together. William Hurt and Holly Hunter's characters, like everyone, like there wasn't a person because we weren't aware. I I wasn't aware. I'm sure there were plenty of people that were, but the crowd definitely wasn't aware that the news was being destroyed at that moment. It was the moment where they folded network news into the entertainment division. Right. And, and later I worked with a producer, Owen Burke, great guy, and his father, um, I think his name Dick Burke, used to run ABC News and he created Nightline. And Owen would always ask his dad before he passed away, God rest his soul, what do you think of uh, TV news? And his dad always had the same answer. There is no TV news anymore. And his dad basically quit at the moment where they folded it into the entertainment division. So mm-hmm. it's an amazing movie. It's it's light as a feather, it's incredibly important.
2: And it's got it's the greatest flop sweat scene of all time oh <laughs> oh, of all
1: time. Of all time. And it's the guy who should be doing the news, who yeah. has the flop sweat. Like that's he's the least likable character in the movie. Yet he's who you need doing the news. And the whole time you're watching it, the crowd is like, Holly Hunter, please don't end up with Albert Brooks. And it's who she should be with. He's the guy who should be doing the news. Um, yeah, really just an incredible, incredible movie. It, it obviously got huge attention, the awards. Oh, yeah. So it's not like it's underappreciated, but I still feel like it's not talked about
2: enough. It'd make a great double bill with Network oh my god that would be a fun night
0: i I went back and watched it again after sort of post working with with bill hurt and one of the things that just killed me the second time and i don't know how he does it i guess is he turns his lights half off like he's just you completely buy him the first time you see him you're like that guy's not a moron he's just not that smart you know and it's like you see him in other things where he's playing a rocket scientist or whatever you completely believe it but he somehow just dimmed the lights in his
1: eyes so it made perfect sense it's incredible and every casting choice is spot on yeah. the guy who plays his dad is like william Hurt's dad in the movie is perfect the whole story of how he got there what do you do when your life is exceeding your wildest expectations you keep it to yourself <laughs> <laughs> oh it's such a good one i want to yeah harass James O. Brooks and just talk to him more about it. So um, so you had these movies that were like RoboCop and broadcast news, uh, and, and by the way, uh, I would throw this one in here, although I'm curious what you guys think. Is this an indie movie or did it get a studio release? I can't remember because another thunderclap of a movie raising Arizona. The first time I met Ed was in the
0: county lockup in Tempe, Arizona. You're a flower, you are. A day I'll never forget. I do.
1: You bet I do. Okay, then. My lawless years were behind me. Our child-rearing years lay ahead. But
0: (laughs) biology conspired to keep us childless.
2: You go right back up there and get me a toddler. I need a baby high. They got more than they
0: can handle. At the time, Ed's little plan seemed like the solution to all our problems. And the answer to all our prayers.
1: He's beautiful. What? Are you kidding? We got us a family here. Indie or studio? I can't. I think that was studio.
2: I think it's a uh, studio picture. I, it's, I can't remember which studio, but it, it's a, it was a small movie.
1: So you have these movies that are studio movies. You give him 10 Men. By the way,
2: yeah.
1: whole studio release, Dreyfus big star, DeVito, big star, Barbara Hershey, and tons of great movies, kind of borderline star, should have been a star love. Uh, distributed Hershey. by
0: Fox. I'm sorry, 20th Century Fox.
1: Yeah, so these movies, the late, you know, the, the indie film world was still kind of starting to get on its feet at this mm-hmm. point. And so these were really cool, subversive, wildly entertaining movies with packed theaters watching them. And uh, it was really kind of an exciting moment. But then, so you had Raising Arizona, you had Princess Bride, Mm. which, another Mm. one, commercial, fun, crowd pleasing different, subversive. Were you a fan
0: of the book before the film? I had not read the book, no. Uh, uh, Yeah, because that was... Did you read the book? Oh, God, yeah. I, love I, I had the greatest English teacher in the world in ninth grade, and, and we had done it. And um, I, I became a William Goldman fan from that, believe it or not, uh, his books. But I remember opening night, and you could tell the other fans there, and it's an easy book to fuck up. I mean, it's brilliant. What I mean, they, they caught it so well and made so many changes at the same time. But I remember looking around, the moment you know it's coming, and you could spot the other fans in the audience, because we are all lip syncing at all my name is indigo ah. you'll kill my father i
1: <laughs> have been waiting years to see that oh movie. that's cool <laughs> i didn't get so any of that satisfaction i just walked in like rob reiner did spinal tap i'll watch anything he does sure. yeah. and i was like holy moly and i i love movies where you can show it to a grandparent yeah. and you can show it to an eight-year-old and yeah. you can show it to a cynical 19 year old or a cynical 35 year old and the play is exactly the same i mean one of my all-time favorite movies is lynch's straight story because it's a rated g lynch movie that you could show to republicans uh liberals left-wingers i mean you could show to anyone across any spectrum you can think of and it plays so this year had a lot of those movies now, I'm gonna do a weird one here, and you guys gotta let me know if I get fined for this. But one of the biggest cinematic moments of this year was the Spike Lee, Michael Jordan, Mars Blackman Nike commercials.
2: Yo, Mars Blackman here with my main man, Michael Jordan. Yo, Mike, what makes you the best player in the universe?
3: Is it the vicious stunts? No, Mars. Is it the haircut? No, Mars. Is it the shoes? No, Mars. Is it the extra long shorts? No, Mars.
1: Is the shoes it, right?
3: Nah.
1: Is it the short socks? No, Mars. Money's
2: gotta be the shoes. Shoes? Shoes. 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 You sure it's not the shoes?
3: I'm sure, Mars.
2: What about the shoes?
1: No, Mars.
2: Money's gotta be the shoes.
0: Which was so odd, because it was as big as that film was in the indie world. It was still a small film. She's Gotta Have It. She's
1: Gotta Have It, it was very tiny. We had found it on VHS And watched it so many times that we broke the VHS tape when we brought it back to the rental store because we had never seen anything like it. It was very apparent a major new voice was coming out, uh, a a new voice too, telling a story, uh, you know, uh, from the hip hop culture, from the African American point of view. That was hugely exciting. So after we saw that movie and watched it to death, and we were like, wins his next movie, wins his next movie. And then so we were all huge hoop heads. We were obsessed with Michael Jordan. And this was when the kind of square sports writers were still saying, Michael Jordan hasn't won a ring, he's just a scorer. And we're like, my friends and I were like, fine, enjoy that lame perspective. We're gonna soak up one of the most creative, groundbreaking players ever. And then meanwhile, you know, there's this filmmaker coming over the horizon line and we're dying for his next movie. And uh, not a fan of Nike, by the way, or their labor practices. Uh, But at that point, we didn't care. We were just like, which is why it was probably an effective ad. And uh, and it was Spike Lee. It was in black and white, which you Mm -hmm. never saw. It was Michael Jordan. And I'm. It's the one time in my entire life where we would look forward to a commercial. By the way, there's been other good commercials, but just in general, the very structure of a commercial, I just always feel slightly queasy. And in that case, my friends and I would be like, it's on, and we would all get quiet. So this may be the only commercial you get included in your my favorite year.
0: It's, it's definitely the first uh, on our show. We've only done 300 episodes or something, but that's
1: uh, <laughs> the first commercial, isn't it, Joe?
2: Yeah.
1: Yep. Um, so, yeah, that was big. Um, I, I remember those. There was something just so uh, unusual about
0: them. I mean, and it, and it um, uh, yeah, I'm sort of queasy about the whole sort of Nike aspect of it, you know, even even back then, but it was just like how something was changing where the people in the advertising department were paying attention to something other than you Know the new Robert Goulet album.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give myself one break on the Nike. I think at that point, Nike was not an incredibly onerous company. Oh,
0: yeah, no, I not I didn't know anything about the company. I was just like, you don't do commercials, artists don't do commercials. That was I, like in some...
1: his case, though, it was okay. Yeah, no, it always because she's got a habit was so small, and Michael Jordan was so cutting-edge and cool. Because once again, mainstream sports yeah. sort of missed the boat on Michael Jordan until he got those rings. Um,
0: but it also ensured him the career making movies he wanted to make.
1: You know, it was, it uh, was brilliant. Uh, it was just, and, yeah. and we always forget, too, with the Spike Lee, the early Spike Lee, especially Jungle Fever, The End. He mm-hmm. did a lot of to camera, too. And those commercials, they were black and white. They had an incredible rhythm. Mm-hmm. And then he was looking right at the camera and talking, too, which mixed with that cool style was yeah. really just alive and sort of, once again, announced a whole era where I, I maintain that African-American culture became straight up 100% or 90% American culture, where mm-hmm. they became one and the same, whereas in the 70s and 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 you guys, uh, I'm curious your opinion of this. But there was always a little separation. The NBA was the black league. The music was considered, you know, African American music. There was always a little separation going on. Occasionally, there'd be a crossover, like Richard Pryor and Sidney Poitier, and like there would be a little crossover. But I I really feel like Run DMC, Spike Lee. That moment was just like, it, nothing's been the same with American yeah. culture since. So that was a big one. That's a big yeah, one. No, right? I, I did, like... did, did Ernest shoot those, Joe? Do
0: you know? He must have, right? I think that's he when did, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I think Dickerson shot all his early stuff. And yeah. then obviously he became his own director and went on to do some incredible work. and Including as them. a
0: trailer from guru. Hel- What's that? Including does, his trailers he from Hell Guru. He does yeah. commentary.
1: Are you serious? Really? Oh, that's <clears throat> He's cool. has been doing it for years. I always loved it. He, anyone who directed The Wire, I'm just like... Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to throw out another one for you. So we got these commercial movies that are really... People, filmmakers have gotten really good at subverting the genre, at commenting, by the way, on a country that is really rapidly changing. Um, and, you know, I grew up on the dividing line, 70s into the 80s. So I grew up a little bit in the hippie counterculture period. And my parents were sort of hippie slash hipsters. My dad was a musician. I remember going to a party at the widow of Jim Croce's uh, old house up in the hills outside Pennsylvania and there are hippies running around. So, And I grew up in the era where... You could get Pell Grants. I paid $800 a semester to go to Temple University. I went to really good public schools. And then I was seeing this really fast shift in the Reagan era where the country was just careening to the right and sort of the American uh, narrative was changing rapidly. And so it's one of the reasons these movies, you know, that they were subverting the form the way they were. But at the same time, you also had the rise of kind of indie films coming and uh movies that you know because of the rise of video stores and these art house theaters and in the middle of this boom wings of desire uh smacks me across the cheek and leaves a red (laughs) handprint
0: It's, it's, oh my God, that film is, is so gorgeous. Um, and, and there's something about to me that, 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 has always been just the, 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 the crowning shot is, is Peter Falk's an angel. Somehow that's, oh, so perfect. Incredible. <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is. I also they couldn't get Peter Falk. Was there a second choice or <laughs> <do> you just
1: <laughs> I like movies where when you talk about him, you want to go watch the, I want to like watch Wings of Desire right now. Yep. Like, yep. Yeah. 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 Um big one. That's a big one. Um here's another one. Uh just once again, the technology, you know, filmmaking, it's getting a little more democratic, which is why three years later, four years later, we're gonna get uh, Maddie Rich, uh, Singleton, Spike Lee really starting to expand. You're gonna start to hear new voices come. And a little prelude to that, was another movie i probably watched three or four times, um, was House of Games. David Mamet. He's got a feel for the way people talk, and think, and cheat, and love. And he's got the Pulitzer Prize to prove it. Now America's most exciting writer makes his directorial debut. Join him in the house of games.
0: Slowly look over my left shoulder and tell me if you see him.
3: Yes, he's just crossing the street.
2: The players.
3: A sucker born every minute, huh?
1: And two to take him. A woman of one
0: world. You want to see how a true bad man plies his trade? Yes. Seduced by the thrill of another.
3: We're about to sting this guy. I'll do it with you, please.
0: Discovering that danger is the ultimate high.
3: What is life without adventure?
0: A man who
1: offers you his trust.
0: You've got a tell. A tell? You're telling me the hand that has the coin. You want to know a tell?
1: His confidence.
0: You watch this guy and tell me, does he play with his gold ring? And takes you. Do you want to make love with me for
1: everything you've got? What was cool about that movie for me was just the mammoth dialogue style. I'd never heard anyone screw with the cadence of dialogue to that degree. Um, Later, he would do a movie called Homicide, which no one ever talks about. It's a great movie. Um, And then much later, he would become, God bless him, a, a right wing lunatic, which is not a movie. But should have been. But oh, maybe it was Oliana. Oleana is kind of the. let
0: It was always there with him, you know. You you knew you weren't dealing with a, a mushy, sentimental, you know, lefty always with him uh, uh, for sure. But it
1: really started to get almost radical later on, which is yeah. heartbreaking because uh, the early stuff was just damn good. And uh,
0: why uh, I've but, always resented it too because my. Um, my piece—I will not read your fucking script. Was the most read piece ever on the Village Voice website until David Mamet wrote a piece called "Why I Stopped Being a Bra- Brain Dead Liberal," in which he announced that oh,
1: he was now a brain oh. dead conservative.
0: And I was like, "You motherfucker! Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: How dare you get more hits than me?" Uh, especially that article. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So while I take a moment to recover from my never-ending sadness and having been bumped from the number one spot by David Mamet. Let's take a moment and thank our wonderful sponsors, Movies Unlimited. Uh, You know, a lot of the movies we talk about on the show are available there at MoviesUnlimited.com. They're the experts on movies since 1978. You're going to find thousands of titles there to choose from, classics, hard to find titles, and new ones too. Uh, You'll find most of the movies Adam's talking about today. I doubt you're going to find the Spike Lee Nike commercials there, though. Uh, but they are great and they have pretty much everything. So support our sponsor and be good to yourself. And I'm gonna to continue to go be sad about the mammoth thing while uh, Joe takes over.
2: So if you look in the wallet and there's no moths flying out and you have a couple of bucks you wanna spend, why don't you buy your favorite movies at moviesunlimited.com. You'll find classics, imports, hard to find films, and also new releases. The prices are great and the choices are endless. Own the titles you love and enjoy all the bonus features you just don't get elsewhere elsewhere. 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 Go now to moviesunlimited.com, the movie collector's website where shipping is always free on orders over
3: $50. Wanna learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, here's another big one. I mean, and a movie that is way ahead of its time that called the whole turn that America was taking And I don't think it gets enough to for how how quickly he was catching this smelly, congealed wealth thing that was going on, and that's Wall Street. From
0: the director of Platoon, Wall Street.
1: The stock is plummeting. When it hits 18,
2: buy it all. Something big is going down. I wanna know where he goes and what he sees. I want you, pal, to fill out the missing picture. Mr. Gecko, that's not exactly what I do. Well, you can trade your honor. I can lose my license. That's inside information. For power. If you're not inside, you are outside. I know what this guy's all about. Greed. There is no nobility in poverty anymore, Dad. Greed is good. Greed works.
3: What makes you tick, bud?
2: The fear of being poor that's all gonna change So I'm catching the express. All right, Mr. Gecko, You got me. Trade your peace of mind. What's in it for more? More money than you ever dreamed of. Just the beginning, pal. If any trouble does arise, you are on your own. The trail does stop with you. For a piece of the action. The richest 1% of this country owns half our country's wealth. Five trillion dollars.
1: All it takes is a little inside
2: information. I don't care where or how you get it. I think you owe
1: me. And you can trade everything you believe in. He's using you, kid.
0: You're too blind to see it. For everything you've ever wanted.
1: It's incredible if you go back and look at it, because basically American culture has just been on rinse repeat of that story. The only thing that's changed is the scale and the effectiveness of the propaganda or the lie or the faux culture, whatever you want to call it. Because now I think if what happened in Wall Street happened, no one would even care. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes like, it happened. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, he used a kid whose dad runs the union for the airline as a backdoor way to get it and break it into assets. That's like Tuesday for private equity. Um, exactly. So, um, but it, it, incredible movie, really Oliver Stone at his absolute best and really smelling what's going on in the world in a way that was, you know, we wouldn't really see movies like this for another 10 years. Like, I mean, I mean, he was that ahead of it with Wall Street. Um, He's also, he's
0: so good at getting inside with empathy, if not outright sympathy into characters that, you know, he has nothing but contempt for.
3: You know, Nixon,
0: Nixon is like the pinnacle of that, or like, you can't find a bigger Nixon hater than Oliver Stone. And that
1: movie is so great because by the time it's done, you feel for this horrible person, you know? I mean, the crazy thing is that the Michael Douglas character, he writes it so well. Yeah. As you guys know, all the irony and commentary is lost. And uh, what's the character's name again? I want to say Gordon Gecko. Gecko. Yeah, a little irony. (laughs) Uh, And so much so that, sort of like the phrase, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which people always forget, is making fun of the individualistic view of the world. Right. uh, And then got incorporated by the individualistic uh, view of the world. That Gordon Gecko, greed is good, gets quoted by everyone. Michael Lewis's first book, Liar's Poker he wrote as a, and he told me this, he, when we did the big short that he wrote it as like, Hey, we got a problem here, guys. And it ended up leading people to want to go into finance because sort of like Goodfellas, it made right. it fun. It made it like being amoral is kind of a blast in short bursts. And, um, and you know, I mean, the first two thirds of Goodfellas looks like they're having the greatest time humans have ever had. And the same with Gordon Gecko. greed is good. Um, and the same thing with the uh, Michael J. Fox uh, character on Family Ties was mm-hmm. originally written as a joke. Like, look at this kid who loves these horrible people like Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. And of course, America completely embraced I was it. Falls in
0: love with him. Yes,
1: <laughs> yeah. I remember a friend of mine knew the showrunner of that. Gary, I can't remember his name, but anyway, he was telling them they were so surprised by the reaction to that Michael Keaton, uh, Alex P. Keaton character. Right. Uh, they had no idea that was coming.
0: Um, but imagine, imagine writing that because that a good speech is is dangerously good. Um, you know, imagine writing that. Oh my God! And looking down at it and
1: going, Sweet Jesus, what what have I done? That I mean, it's the Usually tricky. Anyway. It's the tricky thing with some of this stuff because I'm curious what you guys think about this. We we're doing a podcast, um, uh, a, a sequel to. Um, Death at the Wing, which was about a bunch of basketball players who died right, right. in the 80s. And we sort of use these tragic deaths as a lens on the time. Well, we're working on one now, a sequel called Death on the Lot. And we look at that period in Hollywood where a lot of people died, like car wrecks, drugs, pills, murders like there's just a spate of deaths through the the 50s through the 60s a lot of great great talented people and we we talk in one episode about Rod Serlin and when he got whacked when he wanted to write about the Emmett Till story for a Playhouse 90 type of show it wasn't Playhouse 90 it was like the U.S. SEAL dra- drama hour or something and he wasn't allowed to because it was the first time the advertisers really flexed their muscles. And we're like, we're making millions in real dollars. We're making millions. You can't do this. So Serling went and created. you guys know this story, when created the Twilight Zone as a backdoor way to talk about real yeah. stuff. But I I sort of bring up the point on one of the podcasts, like, that's incredible creative feat that Serling did. But let's not get it twisted. It's a capitulation. And you lose a chunk of the audience when you do that. And I would also say that it ended up kind of modeling the popular aesthetic. And and by the way, other filmmakers, other writers did it as well. And you look at this stuff before that, like on the waterfront, face in the crowd, you look at a play like Waiting for Lefty. Very sweaty, very earnest, um, and really incredible stuff. I mean, obviously, a lot of it fueled by the method acting style. And so, with something like Wall Street, where he writes that speech, the danger of that approach is it just instantly people heard him were like, That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, it, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to know how Stone feels about it. I mean, he's a a pretty quote confident guy so i'm guessing he doesn't have a problem with it but uh yeah big big movie yeah
0: I, I wanted to this really thing though i'm interested in what you said because I, I always felt that one of the interesting things about both what he did and what a lot of science fiction especially in that era did uh um, i need to take star trek was wasn't even so much as getting around the sponsors as it was reaching an audience that might otherwise reject your thesis
1: you know, well, I mean, in Serling's case, he's on the record as saying the reason I made Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah, for
0: sure. We'll yeah, to get around that. But I you yeah, it. It, so you'd get somebody who wouldn't watch the Emmett Till show anyway, who might have watched, you know, and might have been a
1: just voracious fan of, of Twilight Zone. Um, I mean, if you wrote a compelling drama on a big popular show with good actors and Rod Serling writing it, Yeah. There's a real chance you could capture a wide the same way the footage of the civil rights protesters being sprayed with hoses, they put on the news, and it was a major turning point because surprise, surprise, people way that terrible stuff happens is people aren't exposed to it or they shut it out or it's censored. And in the case of that news footage, it really did change the civil rights movement. So it's kind of hard to even know what would have happened. I mean film did continue to be a lot more earnest and bold. I mean, you look at a movie like the China syndrome and, or you look at even network is, you know, and, or Dr. Strangelove is really large and broad. Um, But anyway, it's interesting. I just, you, you brought up uh, how would you feel about writing the wall street speech? Um, And I think that's a perfect example of, uh, of uh, yeah it's kind of satire it's kind of depicting without commenting but also allows it if there's a burgeoning movement to co-opt it in like a second it's a very comp. it's a yeah. i don't have an answer to the question i just think it's an interesting question yeah. um
0: yeah i mean beyond just the, the sort of thing you know, responsibility question, which some people ask. It's literally just like you're sitting there looking at it and realizing you've written this incredibly compelling argument for something you find odious. But you're a screenwriter and you're writing a movie you're going to direct. And you're like, this is a great fucking scene.
1: Well, when I finished, when I, this is like nine years ago, when I wrapped on my adaptation, or when we did our premiere of my adaptation of The Fountainhead, I realized Whoa! Wait a minute. What have I done here? Uh, (laughs) I thought I was just making an entertaining film, and uh, I can't think of a prominent libertarian. I was going to say is cheering. Is Bill Maher a libertarian? Um, Okay.
0: Wait. Are you? You're. I'm, I'm so. I'm so. Did you do the Fountainhead? No.
1: Okay, because I'm saying you're going, wait a minute, it's this deadpan shit. You can't do that. I I was trying. I I like the idea that I innocently read The Fountainhead, just thought it was entertaining. uh, out, And then realized, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) We made this movie. Someone else shot the whole movie and then was like, oh. Uh,
0: (laughs) I'm like, no, I could see you doing like an ironic adaptation of The Fountainhead that ends up being finally the good version of the movie.
1: I would kill to see that. Oh, my God. (coughs) Ironic, Ayn Rand, you know, Jill Sobule. You guys know her, the the singer songwriter? She's awesome. She pitched me an idea for a musical called The that was like the Ayn Rand story as a musical. (laughs) As a musical. And I keep bugging her, like, Jill, do that. Like, that really could play on Broadway. Like, that could be, or at least off-Broadway would be... With a lot of dark songs in minor keys. Yeah. <laughs> God isn't uh, real. Where's my social security check? That, that's that <laughs> I'm like, I'm so good at that
0: stuff, but I I but I get like I got a hoist on my own. I'm literally sitting there going, wait a minute, Jesus, we got a guest. I, I love his work. I think I've seen, you know, I've certainly seen all his movies. He did the fountainhead? Fuck, how did I not know this?
2: <laughs> Have you seen the movie version? I've never seen it. Is yeah, it? The, it's actually it's very entertaining. Oh, I which got which movie it.
0: version, Joe? The you mean the the one with Gary Cooper? One? Yeah, you know they've made other movies recently.
2: Oh well, yeah, they did those those yeah. crappy ones yeah. later. Like but this one this one has actually got great art direction oh. and it's it's quite you entertaining.
1: You know, uh, we're doing a screening series at our production company Hyper Object Productions. So we do a movie every four to five weeks. We just screen The Misfits. And uh, we started it with Out of the Blue, which uh, they did a reissue of. Yes. But we should do the Gary Cooper Fountainhead if you guys wanted to host a screening. Uh, <laughs> it would be fascinating <laughs> to look at that because it was made at a time where there was no chance that a you know fascistic extreme right wing was well. That's not true. The McCarthy era, I guess, bubbled up for a little bit. But there's such a stretch in America after World War II where Things are mostly pretty good, um, and probably be funny to look at that
2: movie because they probably were making it to be
1: entertaining, right, Joe? I
2: mean, well, it's it it it, it was basically sold as a as a torrid romance because uh, Patricia Neal and Gary Cooper were having a torrid romance. Oh, and uh, and it's it's got the most obvious phallic symbolism of of any movie I've ever seen. You know, it's got it, it starts with. Big buildings and everything, but it's it's also got jackhammers and it's got
1: well, it's, you know it's, I, it's quite Ayn Rand was famous for hosting orgies. and uh, I'm actually not kidding this is not a dead bench, yeah, yeah,
0: I can't trust no, it. no, this one is hundred
1: percent true. She was I mean, obviously she's a bit of a nihilist. she was very I, I actually don't care about this part of her story, but the best part of it is that it's pretty almost hundred percent certain. That she was hooking up with Alan Greenspan, uh, and, and uh, that you know he was a student and of hers. Uh, I'm I'm not kidding. Uh, pretty famous for like crazy sex parties, and almost assuredly uh, hooked up with Alan Greenspan. I would love it if any of your listeners have confirmation on that. Um, but Wait, I think why it's a pretty- wouldn't
0: you be interested in that? That's a, that's
1: a movie. I think Jill Sobule has got to write this. The, uh, the Ayn Rand orgies. Ah, uh, I love that we're talking about 1987 and uh, almost like long form improv, we've landed on Ayn Rand and Alan Greenspan peeking out of a mound of flesh and <laughs> winking at each other. Um <laughs> All right, 87 oh is chock full of movies. I mean, you guys, uh, uh, you guys tell me, do you want me to keep barreling? Or... Yeah,
0: keep, keep going. We're, we're... All right. Um, I mean, you're making you a get? case. You're making a case. It's, uh, it's uh, like right. going to be the best year. And I thought, no, we have to make it my favorite year because you can't possibly. You oh, know?
1: God, no. No, no, I wouldn't argue the best. But it's a strong year because now I'm about to throw two movies at you. Boom, boom. Uh, I got with Nail, and I. Oh. And I got Alex Cox uh, Walker, a yes. wildly underappreciated movie.
2: An unseen. <laughs>
1: uh, you're 100% right. Mostly unseen, but um, love it. I mean, I, I the previous time I was on this podcast with you guys, I went on and on about Alex Cox. So I won't go on and on about him, but I'll go on and on about Walker, which is just so creative and unusual. And then with Bill and I, was really a movie, um, I actually didn't see it when it came out, I saw it a couple years later, and it still was crackly, fresh, funny, incredible dialogue, uh, kind of a semi, I don't think I'm going crazy in saying, i call that a seminal movie, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, well, the other thing is, I, I, I feel like
0: three people saw it the year it came out. That's it's true. one of those movies that, but those three people made sure that they each told 10 people. Yeah. And, and yeah, cause I, I, saw it, I saw it later too, but it is one of those movies. The first time you see, it's just, it, it's, it's, I actually know people who sit there and go, what the hell's, what are you looking at? They don't even, I don't even think they see images on the screen. They just see a, you know, static. But if you click with that movie, you click with that movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's amazing. In fact, I told Adam, if, when we were emailing back and forth, if you're going to mention it, we're going to set a timer to make sure we don't, go over nine minutes doing with nail no quotes <laughs> <laughs> <But> <laughs> i am strongly resisting
2: they're selling hippie wigs in Woolworths, man the greatest decade
3: in the history of mankind is over
1: and as presuming ed here has so consistently pointed out we have failed to paint it black there are people that have watched with nail and I like 25 times. Oh God, yeah. 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 And I'm not, at the, I've seen it like twice. And oh, it's okay. awesome, but I'm yep. not a hard, hard, hardcore with nail and Iite. I'd say I'm uh, between
0: you and them somewhere. I have uh, ah. uh, I've certainly bought every video iteration of the damn thing.
1: So <laughs> um, so all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a big sharp uh probably, I guess, right turn, if you really look at the spirit of this movie. But I'm gonna argue this next movie I'm about to say is another one of those movies, like I defy you not to be entertained by this movie, as ridiculous as it is at moments. In a way, like if I were gonna do the top 50 popcorn movies of all time, this might be top 10, Predator.
0: Deep in the Jungle. Where nothing that lives is safe. You lose it here, you're in a world of hurt. Showtime, kid. I am not. An elite rescue squad. You're bleeding, man. I ain't got time to bleed.
1: (laughs) Is being led by the ultimate warrior. We need the best. That's why you're here. But now. What's got Billy so spooked?
0: There's something out there waiting for us. And it ain't no man. They're up against the ultimate enemy. Holy Mother God. Nothing like it has
1: ever been on Earth before.
0: She says the jungle just came alive and took him.
1: We cannot see it. No blood, no bodies. We hit nothing.
0: But it sees the heat of our bodies and the heat of our
1: fear. Whatever it is out there, we killed Hopper. And now it wants us. It kills for pleasure. He will stand alive.
0: It hunts for sport.
1: He's killing us one at a time.
0: We're all going to die. But this time, it's picked the wrong man to hunt. If it bleeds, we can kill it.
1: Come on, you're flipping oh. through the channels and Billy is standing on the bridge and ripping his necklace off with that massive knife. That massive knife and waiting for the predator to come. And then we cut to Schwarzenegger and the woman, and I think he's with still with Carl Weathers. And you just hear Billy scream in the distance. As you know, the predator has a viscera. That movie is as muscular fun. That was the moment, that was the movie where the eighties got the better of me. Like there were moments where like, (laughs) I I was able to resist Top Gun. Like I get it, it's entertaining, whatever. But like, you know, it didn't fully get through with me. Predator just straight up got me. Uh, uh, yeah, incredible. Um, yeah, that was sort
0: of, that was when when Schwarzenegger, there was that early period of where my friends and I were like, we felt like we had discovered him. You know, we discovered the actual fun of Arnold Schwarzenegger in movies like, I mean, I know they are successful, but like Commando and Terminator, where you just, oh. you just loved him. But then Predator seemed like the moment where I was like, this guy's a major movie star and you love him unironically.
1: And you know, the craziest thing in the world, of course, is you watch Predator and you're watching three future governors of the major states in a helicopter with a giant Gatling gun. Listening to like uh what's the song they're listening to? Is it Little Richard? Oh, it's, it's some a, old
0: it's like a Who vibe, yeah. Have, yeah.
1: Some, have some fun tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, it's 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 Jesse the Body and Arnold's who am I? What it's the Jesse who's the, third uh,
1: the Body, it's Arnold and it's Paul Sangas. And they're all <laughs>
2: He's doing it again. <laughs>
1: <Damn> it. <laughs> I was trying to go I couldn't <laughs> I come up <laughs> with a better reference. It should have been uh, Paul Wellstone. That's who it should have been. but I couldn't remember. Yeah, flying. When, this is a- when he passed away, and I love Paul Wellstone, so I didn't want to make the joke. Paul Sangas is pretty good. That's right. good. done Dukakis. Yeah, but yeah. Dukakis had already run for, right? Who's the funny governor?
0: He would never put Dukakis in a movie either. That
1: was,
2: um, that was sort of his problem. No, only in a tank.
1: Oh, yeah. Dukakis was uh, originally- in my dinner with Andre, they did five oh, days of done. shooting. It's done, it's done, um, I'm cutting his
2: mic. <laughs> <laughs> the, the amount of misinformation. I know, it's terrible. A, we're we're going to have to have get our lawyers on this one, predator,
1: big time. Watch Predator, Arnold yes. Schwarzenegger, future governor, Jesse Ventura, future governor, their demolition explosive expert, played by Paul Sangas, <laughs> future governor, uh shane black is in it too by the way in it people forget he? that
0: yeah yeah he's one of the he's uh, he's one of the guys he gets killed he's, oh, he's one of the my team
1: god you're right yeah oh my god um yeah
0: no, it's a, it's a delightful film and then uh oh, and then paul chadwick who did the he was a great comic book artist who did the storyboards uh i once read an interview with him where he talked about um the end of the movie is he's just channeling and they they kept it he's just channeling bugs
1: bunny like when oh. Arnold blows up the Predator, it's straight out of Bugs Bunny. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, a movie's good when they crank out the sequels. Like Karate Kid, the first one kind of had this, where mm. like the sequel to Karate Kid wasn't great, but the like the glow of enjoyment from the first one totally just sails you yeah. the <laughs> sequel. And the same with Predator 2. Like, there have been no some good Predator problem. sequels. Yep. Um, and okay I got another big this I almost could have led with this I mean talk about a seminal like thunderclap definitive era defining I can't build this movie up enough and no I'm not going to say The Last Emperor I'm going to say planes, trains and automobiles during holiday travel some people get delirious some get delayed and some get (laughs) del griffin american lighting fixture director of sales shower curtain ring division neil page got all three i was on my way home to spend a nice holiday with my family instead i'm in a
0: motel bed with a stranger so instead of thanksgiving with his family he's spending three days with the turkey I was generally immune to John Hughes's more kind of melodramatic stuff, but that one, that
1: one got me. I think it's his best. I really do. I think.
2: That's, it's, it's, it's Candy and, uh, and um, Martin. I mean, they, they're just such yeah. a great team.
1: I, I think like, cause you're right. When Hughes would go melancholy, it could be a little tough, you know, when he brought in the minor chords, we're like, all right, we got to kind of get through this moment. But yeah, man, I don't know. The first 45 minutes, all the way up until Martin goes, here's a little tip. When you say, a, when you tell a story, try to have a point. I would say the movie <laughs> up until that moment. And then, yeah, there's some minor chord string stuff afterwards, which maybe hasn't aged well. But all the way up until that, it's borderline a perfect movie. Now, uh, as far as like, comedy, entertainment, commercial entertainment. Um, the problem with a movie like that is that for 15 years, every single movie executive says, can it be more like plane Strands and Automobiles? Right. And there are certain movies that come out or TV shows, like when Ted Lasso hit, and I have a bunch of friends who work on that show, and it's you know very entertaining. My family loved it, blah, blah, blah. But I was happy for my friends that they had a big success. But at the same time, I was like, all right, it's going to be 10 straight years of every comedy TV executive saying I'm going to be more like Ted Lasso. And that's what happened with planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. It was just, I swear to God, a decade and a half of notes. It's to the point where my, you know, friends and I would get the note and we'd just be like, how'd the meeting go? And I'd be like, ah, you know, they hit us with the, uh, Planes, trains, and automobiles. But I think I dodged it pretty well.
0: Um, <laughs> but, you're right, too. But the, the worst is when they, when they take stuff that's already being done and try to, you know. I mean, I'm just trying to think about like what would have happened if you had been forced to make winning time in a Ted Lasso. Um, make yes. everybody sweet and
1: lovable. <laughs> I mean, it's the thing I say about, you know, anything like climate activism right now. There are 20 different ways to do it. You can hit the streets. You can go after the banks. You can shut down the PR and the advertising. You can, you know, it's, I don't, I'm working within this system you can argue about. I'm not so sure that's going great, but but there are a lot of ways to do it. And that's what I would say with Ted Lasso. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like have that show out there, but you can also do 20 different other kinds of shows. So I'm going to end with what I think is perhaps the greatest good bad movie ever made and i've actually hosted a screening of it the shame is that years and years ago like we've been talking about this movie as, like since it came out like i wrote sketches on snl that would reference it and then it kind of went mainstream and everyone sort of enjoyed it i would say um so it's not it's not like some cool obscure reference but I still just maintain, as far as good, bad movies, it's one of the, it might be the greatest of all time, over the top.
0: (laughs) The world has always bet against Lincoln Hawks. This
1: guy's nothing. Why'd you
2: leave us?
0: It won't happen again. What my grandson found, Mm -hmm. I don't care how you
1: do it, do it. But a winner never listens to the odds.
2: (laughs) Whatever happens, I want you to stay with him.
0: is All I can guarantee. You. you ain't got a prayer in Vegas. You never had anything, so you have nothing to lose. All I want to do is hurting, him, crippling, him, get him off the
1: table. All I care about is you. You're my boy, you understand? The world beats nobody halfway. Now is the time to do for yourself. I want you. Sylvester Stallone, over the top.
0: That was the movie that Cannon was making when I was working on my first job, Masters of the Universe. And for a brief period, Stallone's parking space was right outside my office in the art department. And and that that movie is where I learned that Hollywood lies about everything. Because the the same week I first stood toe-to-toe with Sylvester Stallone, the LA Times did a piece on him that said, Standing and imposing six feet tall. Come on. Oh, my
1: God. Uh, It is, I'm just going to say it, and I'm going to say it a little. I'm going to say it, like, a little too slow. And not because I think anyone needs to, like, catch up to what I'm saying, just because I want you to enjoy every word. It's a movie about a truck driver. Going through a nasty custody battle with his ex wife, where the way he's going to get custody of his son is through an arm wrestling tournament. <laughs> I don't get your point. you you make it sound great it's like you made kramer versus kramer and you're like you know what divorce is really going up it's hard on the kids uh okay we got off and we got Streep. how do we get arm wrestling into this (laughs) um it's, it's just every and the kid every frame of it uh it's got that glossy uh, lighting, all the casting is like canon that look and feel, sickly yeah. perfect casting where like humans don't look like this. Everyone, even the women, look like Rob Lowe and uh, young Rob Lowe. <laughs> um, it's a uh, what do you call something the, the good bad? It's not a masterpiece. It's a servant piece. <laughs> it's a it's an absolute
2: it's a guilty pleasure it's an
1: absolute servant piece um i try <laughs> to create the word uh the combination of ironic enjoyment and let's be for real sincere enjoyment which well, uh no oh, so, yeah. yeah so i was trying to use iron seer or uh sinronic uh, and i, I actually don't think there's a lot of sincere enjoyment for over the top, but a movie like road Sure. There is a little part of you. It's like, I hope Sam Elliott kicks that guy's ass. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but anyway, over
0: the it's top. A- wow. Over the top. I've not thought about that film in so long. If ever. Uh, no, because that, that was when I just gotten here. It was sort of like, I, I, it was all happening like right next door, but that was remember Canon radicalized the business by, that was the first, was that the most any movie star had ever been paid? They, they gave Stallone $10 million.
1: Joe, if you haven't seen it, which it sounds like you haven't, oh, I've you have. That. Okay,
2: oh yeah, I've seen that because I shot a movie in Petaluma, and that's all <laughs> I talked about.
1: <laughs> really, Oh my God, <laughs> my sister used to live in Petaluma. I've been up there. Um, all right, I'm I'm looking through. I mean, there's some other cool ones like Barfly uh, has some incredible performances. Uh, uh, Angel Heart had like that kind of look which was still kind of new that dark look and had some cool stuff in it and was very hyped. Uh, by the way, we can't not mention less than zero mm. one of the definitive sort of eighties movies. Um, Oh, I worked at a, I worked at the, uh, Ritz five, uh, theater in Philadelphia and every, every day and night would clean the theaters and I would walk in and hear the ending of, uh, of John Houston's the dead. Oh, wow! and, yeah. uh, would hear that whole James Joyce run about uh, the dead and uh, that beautiful music. That came out. Hope and Glory is another one. I love a Borman movie that people don't talk about nearly enough. A kid's point of view on World War II in London. Um, You had, oh shoot. Oh, what was the movie, Someone and Someone Get Laid? Uh, Sammy life. and Rosie get laid. Sammy and Rosie get laid. I believe yep. came out that year. Uh, Housekeeping with Christine Laddi. No, I'm going sure off I memory am. here. This isn't bad. That's you're. impressive. um You had, oh man, lots and lots of just big movies. Good Morning Vietnam, um, uh, which you know not a, not a perfect movie, but like these movies were just giant when they would come out. They would just take up a lot of space um radio days which obviously woody allen's sort of place in film has changed a lot but uh Still a very movie. entertaining movie i yeah. think woody allen acts in it right i don't think he's in it i don't think yeah so maybe that's one you can check out if you're sensitive to the
0: do you have do you want a great? do you have two minutes for a great story please So just uh, because a great story to tell directors, you guys will appreciate this and we'll we'll, we'll let our guests go, Joe. But um, I don't think I've told you this before. Maybe, Joe. Uh, When I directed my little horror film, we had a day on a location. We were shooting in a house. Uh, Everything else was in one place, but we were shooting in a different house. And we were waiting for the crew to finish up lighting the bedroom upstairs. And everyone was sitting in the living room and Princess Bride was on the TV. And a bunch of people were sitting around watching it and getting very into it and i realized that two two of the people on my crew had never seen it and they were just enwrapped and we're all sitting there praying that the the, the, the camera crew will like take their time and because we had a pretty good day that day like please don't finish before the movie's over we're getting closer and closer to the end and you're, you're watching these people who've seen this film for the first time and they're everyone's loving it and i'm sitting there i'm the director of this thing too and and uh, uh, it comes down from the from the AD. He's like, "Okay, we're ready. We need the you know A team on the set." I'm like, "Fuck!"
2: I've been on
0: enough sets that you know you hear that. And you're like, "We got to go." And then it hit me. We had about 15 minutes left in the movie. I'm the director. I hold ah. the role. and we sat and we finished the Princess Bride. The- and
2: to- <laughs> obviously, no producers in the
1: room. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> that is beautiful. That's a perfect story to end 1987. I like it. Yeah, my story wasn't, the one I was gonna tell is not as good. Uh, it, like, the elements are me falling down a flight of stairs, dislocating uh, an ankle, uh, biting into a piece of pumpkin pie, and finding a beetle alive. Beetle. No, I'm, I don't know, I'm just- There's a lot more thing.
2: action in his story.
1: I'm trying to make- amazing. Was
0: this at an orgy, Adam? <laughs> hank paul said at
1: this by, by the way like Paul song is being in predator the things that we uh riffed on <laughs> yeah. and i love that the thing that is true is alan greenspan and ayn rand at a sex party together we need to go out on that <laughs> 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 possibly not that
0: adam mckay thank you very much i wish you uh, all the luck in the world with your chevron commercial and any uh, future commercials you choose to do for big oil companies and um uh, we'll
1: to have you back Thanks. Love you guys. Joe, thank you so much. Joss, thank you Thanks, so man. much. Be well, guys. Yes, you Bye. Too.
0: Hey, it's Josh. I just want to say on behalf of myself, Joe, and everybody else involved with the movies that made me and the trailers from hell family that we have very much enjoyed bringing this show to you for the past year. And we are going to be taking a little break after this one to enjoy some holidays and get rested up and hey, maybe even see some movies. So we'll be back in January with more episodes of the movies that made me. You all have a wonderful, wonderful holiday. And remember, movies, movies, movies.
3: The Movies That Made Me is the official
1: podcast of Trailers From Hell, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer
0: is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. We are proud to be part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Learn more at airwavemedia.com.
3: This is Josh Olson for The Movies That Made Me.